Welcome to Amanda's Horror Pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Amanda's Horror Pod. Tomorrow here in Maine, we're supposed to get a horrific storm. I'm kind of excited about it. I don't know. Even if the lights go out, that sounds kind of fun to me, but that's me. I'm a weird, weird one. Anyway, God, it's been a while, I know, but I have a lot to tell you and a lot of movies to discuss. First, I went to see The Nun 2 at the theater. Okay, this is the thing. Well, First of all, I love Bonnie Aarons, so it's hard for me to say anything bad about anything she's in, but I was not as into this movie as I was the first one. And I didn't really, I know they're part of the Conjuring series, but I didn't connect them thusly. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I liked to pretend they were their own stories. So the first one, like I was actually jumped quite a few times. I was like, whoa, wow, this is great. And the second one, I was kind of like, I didn't hate it. I just wanted to like it more. I felt like it didn't quite have the feel of the first one. In some ways it did, but in some ways it didn't. It wasn't as creepy. Like the first one was genuinely like gave you a creeped out feeling. This this creepy uh, like nunnery. It just had that vibe of creepy demonic nuns. Okay, and then the the second one it was in all different places, which is kind of fun. It was kind of like an action movie. But it wasn't, it wasn't, at the same time, it didn't feel, it didn't flow with the first one smoothly. So, I like things to flow. And if they're going to change the flow, I like them to at least do it in a way that you're not like, oh, okay, what am I watching now? But I I did know that something like that was going to happen because I saw the ending of the first one, of course, and I was like, oh, okay, that's something this shouldn't surprise me but i mean it it could have been worse and it could have been better but i liked it i mean generally i, I generally liked it i wanted to like it more but no, the number the first nun movie is always going to be like first nun movie actually freaked me out i don't know why because i'm not easily scared and I, I wouldn't say i was scared i was creeped out i was generally creeped out by the first nun movie i'm not You know, but the second one, I did not feel creeped out. I did not leave the theater with any sort of creepy feeling. So that was kind of disappointing for me. I was like, oh man, I wanted to have that same like feeling of, oh, I'm kind of creeped out in my guts. But nope, didn't get that. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it. You shouldn't listen to me anyway, in my opinion, because it's just my opinion. But yeah, it's... That was, you know, that was that. That's all I really get to say about that. I I think I heard they're making a third one. Uh, What I'm more excited about is that they're making a third Terrifier. Um, I actually heard about that right from the Terrifier's mouth at MainCon. So that was, that was cool. But, um... Yeah, they're going to make a third Terrifier, and that I'm excited for. And now they're trying to make all these knockoffs of Terrifier movies, because Terrifier has started with, like, a cult following, and now it's really picking up. It's like, no, 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 don't just let the Terrifier be the Terrifier. Don't try to copy it with whatever... I saw 
um, an ad for a movie that just basically like the same movie, but with a different character. And I was like, oh, come on, you know, but you know, that's going to happen. It's horror movies. Some of them are B, some of them are just crappy, but I love the Terrifier movies and I've loved one and two. So I'm excited to see three because it's very rare when I love one and two of movies. This is only a few handful of series that I can go, oh yeah, like Hellraiser, love one and two. Past that, it gets a little murky. I still like the movies, but it's not the same as the the first two go together, of course. We have Bob Green back on the show to talk to in a little bit. And, uh... Uh, to talk some 50s horror, some some old school. So that's always good to have. People that live in the now forget about what came before, you know. What was before this, what was before that? And some people are obsessed in the before. I per- personally am rather obsessed with what was the before this. And I don't just mean movies-wise. I kind of mean with everything. But um, Bob and I were talking about how if you forget history, you're doomed to repeat yourself. That can be true in producing, directing, and acting. You know? History, you gotta learn from history. Film history is one of those things, too. It is not... Absent from importance. So. I have not had many shows. And I realize that. And I want to apologize. And I am do. I have been through a lot. I have been through a move. I have been through a whole bunch of things. And I am doing my best to work on. Bringing you a more regularly scheduled program. I really am. And also to have a permanent co-host. But it is not as easy as you might think to find a permanent co-host that is always available. So, if any of you hear this and you want to throw your throw your uh, hat in and let me know, I'll I'll talk to you about it. You can email me or write to me on Instagram or one of the five hundred social media things that are out there because I'm pretty sure I'm on everything. I mean, you're on TikTok now, and I hate TikTok. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not a fan of it, but I even am on there now. Um, this year, I am also in the Face of Horror contest again, just like last year. And it just passed to the second round. So please go vote for me. Please, 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 please. I'd really like to win. I mean, and not for bragging rights even. Just, I feel like... I feel like all these years of being in the horror scene, I just feel like this is something that's for me, you know? Like, this is... It would be fun. It would be a fun thing, and I, and I certainly could use a break from my regular regular life. So please go vote for me. Um, the link is all over all my social media. And just, yeah, just go vote. There's a free vote. So you you can totally vote for free. Or if you want to buy votes, you can buy votes. And um, the best time to buy votes is the day before they do the cut. The day before they do the cut, 
buy a bunch of votes. And it's, money goes to a good cause. So keep that in mind. It's not like it's just being wasted. It's not even the money they're giving to me that I know of. It's it's goes to B+. Plus. So it's a good cause of support. Well, we're going to talk to Bob Green about 50s horror and a particular person who had a giant, giant impact on horror back then and up, you know, up until pretty far in the future. Okay. Can you say that last, can you say that last sentence again? We are talking about the films of Bert Ira Gordon, otherwise known as Mr. Big. Yay. Okay. That was recorded. Yay. I, 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 hello everyone. I'm with Bob Green, and you all remember Bob. Hi. <laughs> and um, I bombarded him with some crazy information, and now he's like, now she's throwing me into a podcast. Yay. <laughs> well, why don't, why don't you start us off? I'll let you take the reins here. All right, so we're not talking about a specific movie today. We're talking about kind of the oeuvre of a particular director and producer. His name's mm-hmm. Bert Ira Gordon, and you probably recognize a lot of his old, a lot of his older films because he's been making films since the fifties. Mm. He worked, yeah, he worked with um, where is American International Pictures, mm-hmm. which was part of Met, uh, Metro Golden Mayor. Right, it was their B movie squad. Right, <laughs> love the bees. Love, right? love. I love the B movies. I don't care what people say. <laughs> yeah. AIP is actually behind Roger Corman, right? So, I love Roger oh, Corman. Yeah, so like the Poe films with um, Vincent Price, mm-hmm. uh, things like that that Roger Corman did. They were through American International Pictures, oh. but uh, Bert. Mr. Big, right? Um, his deal is giant monster films, right? He's, that isn't all he did, of course, because as a director, you have to have some range. But starting in like 1955 with King Dinosaur, we got The Amazing Colossal Man, which still tells me that magic pants are just a rule. In and, um, Earth versus the Spider, not Tarantula. I mentioned Tarantula the other day when I was talking to you about this, but it's not Tarantula. We're talking about Earth versus the Spider, which is a giant spider movie. Right? I saw that, but I saw it like a very long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Village of the Ants, Empire, excuse me, Village of the Giants and Empire of the Ants. Right? I, I love Empire, Empire of the Ants. Yeah, that's one of his. It's one of his last ones. He did it in, what, 1977? Yeah. Yeah, 70s. Um, Yep, so big through the 50s, 60s, 70s, right? Because, um, like I said, starting in 55 with the di- it was King Dinosaur, 57, he did two of them, two of the big monster movies, The Cyclops and The Amazing Colossal Man. 58 was Earth vs. the Spider, War of the Colossal Beast, and the opposite of what he's known for, Attack of the Puppet People, which was Shrunken People. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I know. So how do you remember all this stuff, literally, with all the pot you smoke? I, I, I read a lot. 
I contain a lot of trivial information, but I do look this stuff up on Wikipedia to make sure that I have my information correct before I talk to you. <laughs> okay, keep going. I'll just listen. Because <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that moved on. He did some other stuff like Tormented, Boy and the Pirates in the 60s, but then he did yes. the Giants. Mm -hmm. Um he did a sex comedy in 70 called how to succeed with sex. Basically this nerd is like reading a book on how to, how to get girls. Right. And that's kind of how he deals with that. Um, but in 76, he did food of the gods, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite movies, uh, empire of the ants with Joan fucking Collins. Yes. <laughs> but then that was pretty much his last giant, giant monster movie. Right. Right. He did, like burned at the stake let's do it satan's princess uh from 77 on but he only made one he only made one other movie after satan's princess in 1990 which was called secrets of a psychopath but what we're really after today is why this guy was called mr big right and that's because like percentage wise the vast majority of his horror films dealt with giant things Right. Yeah. Rear projection um, special effects, right? He was a special effects guy. He started as a special effects guy at a cameraman, right? Production assistant on Ragged Squad, cameraman on Serpent Island, right? But he was mostly a special effects guy. So in King Dinosaur, you know, he was producer. Uh, actually, he was just the director of that one. But like Cyclops and Amazing Colossal Man, he did special effects. Beginning of the end, special effects along with being the director um, wow. War of the Colossal Beast, also the screenwriter, also special effects. He kind of did it all. He's kind of like the James Cameron of his time, except he didn't make a whole lot of a career off of sequels. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the fifties, you kind of had to do it all in, in some aspects too. You kind of did. You kind of did. But like, so the movies that I most remember are, are like The Amazing Colossal Man, right? That's kind of the precursor to, you know, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Yes, right? I love it. <laughs> yeah, but it, a lot of his stuff played on atomic fears, mm -hmm. right? Which makes Colossal sense. Man, yeah, because it was the 50s. Right. Because we already knew what atomic bombs could do, because guess what we watched? Hiroshima. Yeah, we know the damage they can do. We saw the footage of the test bombings in Nevada, which is scary, right? Very uh, we scary. Saw the footage of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We know what they can do, right? The Japanese have made a whole like subgenre of film being post Hiroshima films, including Godzilla. Godzilla. Right? That's where Godzilla came from. Gojira was a, a response to the Hiroshima Nagasaki bombing. It's where, you know, uh, and of course, Gojira started as a villain, but then became heroic. Yeah. A series of movie, movies came on and he's flipped back and forth because he's a giant lizard and doesn't know better. That was my childhood, Godzilla. That was like the closest thing to horror I was allowed to watch, and I wouldn't call that horror. Yeah, those, those movies are um, my husband's favorite, too. He really likes Godzilla. I made sure to do as much Godzilla stuff as we could while we were in Japan. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> he found the Godzilla store. Let's... There's a Godzilla store? That's amazing. There's a, Godzilla... There's a couple of them. 
Uh, there's the Godzilla store. There's the Godzilla hotel. There's the Godzilla statue. From wow. Godzilla was made a Japanese citizen. <laughs> wow. He's like the ultimate mascot of Japan at this point. He kind of put Japan on the map culturally, right? Wow, yeah. So, but yeah, so I mean, dealing with, you know, things like the Amazing Colossal Man, right? That was his biggest post-atomic, right? The guy gets exposed to gamma rays and turns into the giant right. with the mysterious, you know, perfectly fitting loincloth that never comes off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took place before uh, Amazing Colossal Man. That was 1957 too. But in this one, it's basically like another result of radioactivity, only this time in Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, massive radium deposits in the area. Everyone was so terrified of what atomic power could do. Right. Just the bomb, but atomic energy, which is why people are still very frightened of it today. It's honestly the cleanest. (laughs) Considering the radioactivity, it is the cleanest method of producing electricity in the world. Right, but people are still terrified of it because we saw Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we saw Chernobyl, we saw Three Mile Island. Exactly. Right? You know, we we uh, a lot of us live through that. Those are living memory things. Yeah, it's not but things you forget it's, about. It's not. They tend to come out. Big horrible things tend to come out in art, especially art. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot personally to say about Burt Gordon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he lived to be 100. He, he really did? Oh, wow. You there? Yeah, I'm still here. Sorry, my phone. Oh. He lived to be 100. Wow. He lived to be 100. He died this year. Oh. He died on March 8th. Oh, condolences to his loved ones. That's very sad. A hundred, though, that's 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 a long time. It is. Like I said, he was basically still making movies until very close to the end. He was making them at eight, right? You know, so he had a very long and storied career, not a very active one. He made quite a few movies, but not as many as people think. Right. Yeah. But you know, he, he was actively making movies until 2014. Wow. So he had a fantastic career, and his and the legacy of him, because these movies were delightfully bad, like Roger Corman, like Coleman Francis, like mm-hmm. Ed Wood. Oh, Ed Wood. Still live on in the form. Of things like Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Riff Tracks. <laughs> right, that's how we get our fix. Right? But yeah, he he's basically, you know, I was a teenage movie maker. That's what he was. <laughs> you know, and he started that young and he just worked his way through the whole gamut of the whole thing. He's honestly some that, someone that we should really, oh, along the lines of Harry Housen. Right, he's one of those directors that we owe a lot to, in terms of special effects. Um, That's again, true. He, yeah, he mostly did rear projection, 
for his special effects. So, you know, essentially a forerunner to green screen. <laughs> right? Right. So, you know, he would have people acting in front of a screen where he's basically showing a movie of what they're supposed to react to. <laughs> <laughs> to do what you had to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of the cheapest methods of doing it, but my God, it was, was it effective. Yep. I mean, so effective. You know, but then, like, we do have to deal with uh, him suing AIP over his films, right? Oh, I, I don't uh, know about this. Tell, do dish. Yeah, it, 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 I'm not entirely sure what happened with it. What are you doing? I'm not downloading a fucking torrent of a variety article. <laughs> um, it's more a matter of, I guess it was, what, are, what does the Wikipedia say? Uh, basically just fraud over the four films they made together. Um, when we're talking about AIP, right? AIP was run by Samuel Z. Arkoff. Okay, he's an entertainment lawyer. Oh, right? so okay. It's, it's a production label under Metro Golden uh, It was independent film production and distribu distribution. Right? Okay, yeah. Uh, it was independent until 1980 when it was bought by Filmways. Right? Oh. Uh, um, it started as American Releasing Corporation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the, the first release was a UK documentary of Operation Malaya, but it dedicated most of its releasing to low budget films packaged as double features. Right. Because this this company. Right. They are the people specifically that determined the 15 to 25 demographic for horror films. Right. <laughs> right. Because they followed something called the Arkoff formula. Samuel Z. Arkoff, right, created this formula. It was action. He wants exciting and entertaining drama, right? Yep. Revolution. He wants controversial or new ideas. Killing, modicum of violence, right? Got to give it to him. Huh? I said, you got to give that to the people. Right? Right? <laughs> you do, absolutely. Uh, but then there's oratory, dialogue and speeches, right? Fantasy, which is acted out fantasies common to the audience, right? Things that a normal person would not be able to live through, right? <laughs> and fornication. Woohoo! Sex appeal, sell it through sex. Basically, he, they devised a strategy called, uh, after this, called Peter Pan Syndrome, right? And there's four rules to it, right? Four rules to a conclusion. A, a younger child will watch anything that an older kid will watch. B, an older child will not watch anything a younger child will watch. <laughs> C, a girl will watch anything a boy will watch. D, a boy will not watch anything a girl will uh... watch. Therefore, to catch the greatest audience, you zero in on a 19-year-old male. <laughs> of course. That's influencing the younger kids and taking his girl to go see the horror movie so he can grope her boob in the audience, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that is what built this legacy. 
policy of promoting horror to teenagers, right? But again, they are associated with specifically Roger Corman, right? Um, starting with his version of the Fast and the Fury. <laughs> yes. I have not seen that one, but I, I can only think that it's not going to be the same. I've seen all... I'm kind of a big fan of his, so... Right? Um, but they also worked with, um, like, Robert Gurney, who made Invasion of the Saucer Men. And they <laughs> worked with Bert Topper, who did Diary of a High School Bride, Hell Squad. <laughs> and there was Stanley Callis with Operation Dames and Road Research. <laughs> The names are like, they didn't even try to make unique names. They're just like, no, there was no trying there. They made a documentary called Naked Africa. What? That's like, that's like, that's like categorizing Africa in a way that's, I don't know, that's weird. That's problematic. It's very, it's very noble savage bullshit. Yes, exactly. But they did like, they did like the hipster films from the fifties, like the cool and the crazy and daddy-o and, and drag strip riot. <laughs> so they were buying films made by outside producers too, to, uh, to distribute. And unfortunately it based those rules that it created cost it problems. <laughs> so, Instead of, like, in the late 50s, they stopped making films, right? But they were still distributing films. Right. So they shut down most of the production arts anyway, right? They were basically just importing films from Italy, right? So we're getting a lot of, like, spaghetti westerns and things like The Angry Red Planet from Denmark. Oh, my and, word. Right? The Portrait of a Sinner from West Germany. <laughs> But then they had, like, the Corman Poe cycle in the 60s, which saved them. Yep. But this company is responsible for a large, large, large part of all those B-grade movies that we love and uh, that we love so much that were, like, airing on, like, Creature Feature Matinee on Saturdays, right, when we were kids. Oh, yeah. Which they don't do anymore because thanks, streaming. <laughs> yeah yeah there's everyone says there's no downside to streaming there is yeah there is there's i mean i am i i will perfectly be willing to binge on something absolutely right but there is something to be said about having to wait a week yeah before we see the next part um but aip was also doing the beach party films of frank annette funicello and frankie avalon Right, they were distributing those. Right, um, you know the Ghost in the Invisible Bikini, <laughs> Doctor Goldfoot in the Bikini Machine, right, which was hilarious. So creative. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and Peter Fonda movies like The Hell's Angels flicks, right? Um, the Born Losers with Dennis Hopper, the film that introduced Billy Jack, right? Yes. Yeah, and we've got Psych Out with Jack Nicholson. These are the kind of movies they were uh, producing and releasing, right? Even though they're not really doing production as much. They, but they did have co-production arrangements with 
amicus and hammer. So again, that's how we got a lot of those films, right? Like a lot of Giallo came through AIP. Yeah. Came through AIP. Yeah. Franco I can, and Chicho, right? I, I can only take so much Giallo. <laughs> I, you know, Giallo is something I have to be in the mood for, right? Like, Fulci is amazing. He oh, really yeah, he, yeah, he, he's, he's really incredible. Right, yeah, but then we've got, oh shit, name, 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 Suspiria, not Fulci. Um, Argento. Argento, yeah, Dario Argento. Yeah. Argento's yeah. jello I'm good with, you know, but pretty much anything else I have to be in the mood for, because you have to pay attention to jello. Yeah, and, right. and it's just, some of those movies just didn't make any sense. They had, like, no plot. Nothing. I was just like confused. Yeah. AIP also bringing us back to Godzilla was the major distributor of those films during the 60s and 70s. So Godzilla and Gamera came through them. That's why we think they're part of the same studio. And Ooh. They're not. Ooh. Right. Yep. But we've also got other Japanese science fiction coming through AIP, like Frankenstein Conquers the World, X from Outer Space. Right. Oh my word, Toy I remember animation. those. Right? Toy Animation, Alakazam the Great, Jack and the Witch. Right? Um, they released Japanese spy thrillers redubbed as a comedy by Woody Allen. That was What's Up, Tiger Lily. Oh, okay. What's Up, Tiger Lily came through AIP. Right? So... But yeah, when we when we go through this, we know that what AIP is responsible for. But um, again, with the loss of Bert I. Gordon, right? They kind of lost a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't even know when he moved from AIP. Most of his films came through AIP, honestly. Um, but I don't know when he moved. That was in 1960s, so I'm pretty sure they split around then, and things after um, Attack of the Puppet People were through another studio. But what was the lawsuit about it? Did you mention? Did you say? I haven't been, I haven't been able to figure it out. Hang on. A oh. Second. Give me one moment. I am in front. I'm in front of my computer. Give me a second. I am too, but I'm. I don't have an excuse, people. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> I was running around all morning. Uh, um, it was fraud. Oh, it was fraud. That's right. Fraud. Let's, okay. Let's go into Cult Film Alley and see what, what it says here. Project Corman did the original. Um, <sighs> feed me, Seymour. He did the original one. Uh, yes. uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors, yes. Well, I believe that did come through AIP. Give me a second. I will find out because it was in the 60s. Well, Shaporos came out in 1960. That was the first one I saw. I didn't, which is weird because I was born in 78, but that was the first one I saw. My mom didn't let me watch a lot of stuff that was, um, basically everything had to be G or PG. So I stuck to that. She had a religious nature, so she was like, you can't see uh, naked men like I wanted to. But she... she... 
I would have liked, you can't see anything horrible. I don't know. She was very strict. Right. Uh, Mad Max, by the way, was distributed by AMD. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <gasps> oh. Yeah, so AIP did have some big names in its, its squirm. Yay. Uh, well, no, apparently he did still work with AIP because Food of the Gods was released in 76. Huh. And that was, I think, nope, Empire of the Ants was his last film with AIP. Okay. So he did work with AIP till the end of, mostly the end of his career. But no, uh, they did not distribute Little Shop of Horrors. I think that was a different company. Yeah. Because that was, I think that might have been before AIP with Corman. Okay. But let's hang on. That I can find on the internet, and I'm, again, I'm in the middle of a conversation, so I'm really not looking too, too hard. No. But there's really nothing in anything that I can see here that says why except for fraud. So I'm assuming it has something to do with this contract. Yeah, probably. But or, or something. Truly, I, considering his legacy. Okay. <laughs> I can't turn that off. It just turns off after like 10 minutes. Um, but considering his career, right? Considering all of the movies that he's made that we all know, it's it's weird that he doesn't get more attention yeah it is odd because he did lay a lot of groundwork for some of the things we know and love including like i said godzilla it's weird how people don't pay attention to the original things like i'm really into blues music and i love yeah. like robert johnson like the lady in t-hundreds and people like don't know what i'm talking about when i say robert johnson i'm like really Stevie Ray Vaughan did not start blues. But people, yeah, people, I don't know why people don't look back. I think it's a part of it is fear because there's a lot of fear in the past. It, it's fear and discovering, hey, wait a minute. We really didn't come up with this. Black people did. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it would be admitting that we've stolen from people. Uh, just like rock and roll. Thank you. Yeah, we, um, we've pretty much, uh, yeah, everything's stolen in some way or another. Pretty much. I mean, and of course, Bert Gordon is not the first person to do giant animal stuff, right? We know that that went back to King Kong, and that was, you know, brought us, again, films with Ray Harryhausen, right? Right. Uh, who is the guy that we know for giant animals because he's got that distinctive stop-motion Yes, yes. Stuff, right? Very distinctive. It hit, the thing with the company, uh, the com her, comparing the two. <laughs> <laughs> In comparing the two, Ray Harryhausen's special effects were much more dynamic mm -hmm. and obvious as special effects. Right, because Bert did take the cheap way out. Honestly, it was an effective way, but it was the cheap way. You know, whereas there was a lot more craft in Harryhausen's effects, which I'm sure is why Harryhausen is the special effects guy. Right. Besides, um, what's his name? The, the 70s and 80s who did the thing. Carp not. Uh, his name in a minute. It's <laughs> the um, uh, Roger Corman. Roger. Yeah, no, 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 right. 
we did special effects for. Um, oh, special effects. Oh. Yeah. You know, of course we've got you know Stan Winston, right? Who is kind of a disciple of Harryhausen. Yeah. So we've got this, you know, we've got this legacy of people that have just learned from who came before them, but we often don't look back. And that's why I think it, it's important that we look back, right, and see where all of these came from. I'm a firm believer in history informs the future, right? Oh, totally we true. To so that we don't repeat it. Or in the case of film and the case of really good film that we do it we add to that we make right right and with special effects from you know the days of claymation or stop motion right with puppets all the way up to today with um essentially ai actors which yeah that's pretty much what we're going on now is just ai we should not because first off ai per the federal courts ai cannot be copyrighted so a screen a screenplay written with AI cannot be copyrighted, copyrighted words are a thing. Uh, and a film made entirely with AI or a video made entirely with AI, none of that can be copyrighted. So that's a blow to the corporations right there. Wow. And the other thing is, fuck off Walgreens, I'll talk to you later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> This is, this is what we get for me taping on my phone. Um, because for some reason, my PC does not want to connect to Spotify. And I know that I've given it access to, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But anyway, what was I talking about? Special effects, right? With yes. AI. Yeah. So, like, using AI to create a crowd scene, fine, right? Because nobody's really looking at who's in that crowd. Right? That's true. Using, it, using an AI for... Uh, modeling a special effects sequence the uncanny uh, valley the uncanny valley so this is something that i've explained in my book slash books uh, a few times so the uncanny valley is a robotics hypothesis right it basically says that the closer an artificial thing be uh, comes to looking human the more disgusted we are by it and finally when when it kind of reaches peak i'm a robot but still trying to pass myself off as a human it dips into this valley of hate oh which is why everyone was freaked out by the fucking polar express Right, which right. is also why people didn't like Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within, because that was before we'd really gotten a handle on that uncanny valley and why people don't like to watch it. We don't want to watch a computer animated character. It's often hard enough with CGI knowing that it's CGI. We're just not reacting to it with disgust anymore, right? But is there? You know, is the pro protest still going on? The protest, the the um, oh, yeah, the, oh, the actors and the the writers and the actors. Yeah, yep. they're both still going on. And just to clarify, that that is because of the AI, right? It's part of it. The actors is it's part AI, but mostly it's getting paid by streaming services. Oh, okay. Right. So if and it's you know increasing. Pay. And it's also making sure that if you cannot get work, you can get paid unemployment. That's oh, at least during the strike. Right. Right. So because you're a working actor, 
granted, this does not necessarily hurt you know the upper echelon of A-listers, right? Because they're already worth millions, right? But you know the, the people under them, right? The the character actors and the the day players and things like that. Those people still need to get paid too. Right? That is true. So, yeah, it, it's honestly the whole thing is basically part of you know treating people fairly. The writing thing is AI. Right. The writer's strike is largely AI because they were trying to replace writers largely with a chat GPS, I think is what they were using. I may be wrong. Don't quote me. Um, but there are a lot of programs that will let an AI write a script for you. And people were trying to pass this off as, you know, hey, we don't have to pay writers anymore. Do you think because we have this program that can do this? Do you think the corporations will give in eventually, or, or do you think this will be a long strike? It, it's going to be a long strike because the corporations are not going to give in. Okay. Right. I think that both sides are probably going to get hurt in this because this has been a long time coming. Um, but I'm really hoping that everything works out for the strikers because they're right. They have a point. Mm -hmm. right? I just don't think the, the, filmmakers the producers and so forth are going to look at that and say you know absolutely sure you deserve this they're going to fight tooth and nail to pay as little as they have to right right you know because that's what corporations do especially since our lovely supreme court has decided that corporations are people that is so messed up it is messed up but you know we going back to the conversation Right. We've got legendary filmmakers. And I'm sorry, Mr. Big is legendary. Yes. Igor is legendary for what he's done, even if a lot of people have forgotten what he's done. Right. The man had a legacy as a director producer. And a lot of people learned a lot from him. Granted, they learned a lot from him as to how to make really bad, be great movies. <laughs> but they still learned they did because that's where everybody starts right yep you know, not everybody is going to be some kind of spielberg wonderkin the first film they make right um yeah because we do have to look back on those historical films and say all right this is an amazing thing how can i use it or how can i make it better right and it was shit i'm gonna have to look it up <laughs> I found out. I saw the nun two last night at the theater. Uh, I refuse. The, the first. I, refuse. I won't. The first one was the first one was freaking great. I love the first one. Did you like the first one? I refuse to watch any of the Conjuring films. Well, I don't like the regular Conjuring films, but the Nun movie, the original Nun movie, was fantastic. But what is what is your sure what is your beef with the Conjuring? I refuse to pay any credence to the fact that the Warrens might be anything even closely related to the good guys because they're not. Oh well, I don't. Don't most people know that they're not? I mean, I thought that was a given. I, no okay i don't think they take the time honestly um let's see 
do special effects, special effects, special effects. Where are you? I don't actually know a ton about the Warrens, but I know enough to be disturbed. They are the people behind the Amityville hoax, by the way. Yeah, I heard that. I didn't know if it was true, but oh, that's now now that you say that, yeah, I know. They were working with, what was it, like the lawyer of the guy that used to live in the house previously and the Lutzes to make up this whole big huge hoax to make money? Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, this is why I when people are like, I'm going to a psychic. I'm like, oh, I roll my eyes. I could not roll my eyes any harder. Yeah. Anyway, going back to that, Rick Baker is who I was thinking of. Right? For his work on American Werewolf in London. But I think I remember watching like a making of thing mm-hmm. on American Werewolf. And he specifically mentioned people like Harry Housen and Bert Gordon. For his love of special effects. Oh, okay. You know, um, so it, it, it's, and I know that we've been going about the Burt I. Gordon thing roundabout because other than the movies that he made, not everybody knows a whole lot about him unless they read his biography. Right. <laughs> Which I haven't done. You know, I, 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 ha- I know the movies that he made because I love the movies that he made, but I never... I rarely get into a star's personal life on a on a real deep level. I know what people talk about, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, right. And this guy was a star, but he's a behind the scenes star, so he didn't he didn't get a lot of attention. Rick Baker, I don't think, doesn't get the attention he deserves for what he does. Right? Yeah, because no, he totally doesn't. The effects, they just don't pay attention to who's making the effects. Yeah, right? no, that's true. Yeah, one of the reasons people know Stan Winston is one, he is a director in his own right because he did direct Pumpkinhead, which we were supposed to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I have watched a million times. I love that. It's, uh, it's one of those movies I have to be in the mood for because it's this weird kind of hillbilly horror, but also supernatural at the same time. And a, and a little bit sad. And a little bit sad. Right, and then they of course made five fucking sequels, which I have not watched. I only like uh, one of the sequels, so. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> which was based on the video game. Uh, <laughs> 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 they made a fucking video game of Pumpkinhead. Anyway, uh, you know, I just, I, I just really want. I, I, I love special effects. I wanted to be a special effects guy. I did. I, I really enjoy the process. I, when Face Off was on, it was my favorite show. Every week, Face Off. Every I would cancel plans to see Face Off. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those guys. Why, why, um, why didn't you pursue it? I bet you would have been great. Because I'm a horrible artist and I can't sculpt for shit. Oh, okay. That, that, that limits you. <laughs> Right. If you give me some time, I can draw something that is decent. Right. It's not going to be, you know, Marvel Comics or fucking Leonardo da Vinci. (laughs) Something you can look at and not barf. You know. know? 
know. But for the most part, I still basically draw like a five-year-old. <laughs> oh, well, it happens. Uh, like, if I'm just kind of quick sketching something, it's it's not great. It's, it's yeah. But I'm also, you know, not necessarily good with that kind of art. I can take a pattern, uh, and I, I, I can take and even do something. You there? Damn it. <laughs> Fucking phone. <laughs> anyway, it's like, no, I can't draw for shit. But I can make a pretty picture out of string. Don't know how that works. <laughs> Embroidery is a thing. I mean, granted, I can use a pattern. I can use a picture as a pattern. And I've done that. Okay. Right? But I still have to figure out where to put the string. Right. Okay, we're way off topic, and 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 we're gonna wrap up soon. But um, what are some key points that you want kids to know about his films? Kids, adults, old people, whoever. <laughs> I, I want him to to really. I want people to own that Mr. Big thing. Without Mr. Big and without Ray Harryhausen in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even going back to the 30s with older special effects artists, we would not have things like Godzilla. We would not have Cloverfield. We would not have, you know, things like that. And it was because these movies were made popular by, you know, him in particular because he did some of the big ones amazing colossal man is one of you know his magnum opuses plus earth versus the spider mm -hmm. right you know those are the films that people know when they think about the grade 50s horror yeah right and i think that's something that we that we owe to him to remember that legacy of how his films brought us some of the the more flashy things that we see today some of the more some of our favorites right i just want people to remember him i totally love that and i totally agree he was amazing and the fact that he died this year a uh, hundred years old that's crazy i can't imagine living to be a hundred but if i do i hope i'm intact my brain especially Unfortunately, dementia runs in my family, so I have a feeling that, that I'll be losing this massive intellect of mine before I go. General severe. Um, my family is just mostly mentally ill, whatever that can mean for exactly. each person. <laughs> okay. Anyway, no, kids, Mr. B.I.G., check out some of those older 50s movies because, again, without them, we wouldn't have the movies that we love today. It's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone, yeah. people. Remember your history. <laughs> and that's all I gotta say. I was gonna say we're or you're doomed to repeat it, but then I was thinking like that'd be kind of cool if we did like the '50s films over, did not the '50s themselves. Yeah, we have, but over and over, and over again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. You're right. Sharknado. Uh, yeah, we've beat we've beat the sharks over the head. I think way too much. I mean, I, I love I love a shark exploitation film. I absolutely. Oh, do. me too. <laughs> but some of them are really bad. And and all these like hog movies about pigs. It's getting. Oh my God, the, boars, the killer boars. The killer boars. Yep. 
And now we got cocaine bear. And I heard there's one about a cat that's happening somewhere in the world. I don't know. Just you know, if you re- really want to really, really impress us, make a movie about a praying mantis that actually scares us when we watch it. I know, but I want to see it done again. I love that version, but I want to see I want to see a version that's more scary, more more scary. You know what I want? You know what? Steven Spielberg doing Food of the Gods. <gasps> yes. He's already done dinosaurs. Give us giant mosquitoes. Come on, man. Maybe he'll hear a call. Or plea. Yeah. <laughs> right? I highly I mean, doubt it, though. I want, I want those big budget remakes, right? I want those kind of movies because they're fun. Right? Yeah. I mean, you can even do them as comedies if you really want to. But, you know, kind of give us something like that atomic horror again. I mean, granted, now it would be genetic horror, right? Yeah. Be, you know, fear, of, fear of genetic modification. Which is basically the way a lot of movies have gone now. Or a virus. Right? Because right. a lot of people were terrified of COVID. We ended up with a lot of COVID zombie movies. Right? But I like these themes. I think that we can still show like that fear of atomic energy mm-hmm. to the point because a lot of people still are afraid of it. Right? right? That's true. But anyway, no, I, again, kids. Go out and check those older movies. Yeah, they're silly. They're supposed to be. Yeah, that's the point. They're meant for you to sit and watch. And if you care about the plot, awesome. But if you don't care about the plot and just want to grab your girlfriend's boob, do that too. Yep. There you go. That's what they're made for. That's what they're made for. Anyway, that is the last of me, kids. I will be on again later, I'm sure. That is all up to Amanda's discretion. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. Well, that was the ever-knowledgeable Bob Green. He seems to have endless, endless knowledge. Seriously, that man knows so much about film. So thank you, Bob, for being on here and uh, helping us out. Uh, obscure movie I want to throw out there called Yellow Brick Road. If you've seen it, can you please explain it to me? Is it just a metaphor or am I supposed to take it seriously? Yellow Brick Road. Please, if you've seen it. I don't get it. I mean, I get it if it's a metaphor, but if it's not a metaphor, I don't get it. See where I'm going with this? Okay. Let me know. Please, write me on social media and let me know, because I'm a little confused. Alright, well, everyone have a, a great day, and I'm gl- so glad to be back with you guys. I'll talk to you again soon, my spooky little muffins.